0: It's a joy uh, to be back with you after a couple weeks off, and thank you to Brant and to Manny for filling in at the pulpit over the last couple weeks and uh, bringing the word of the Lord uh, to us. And what a gift it is to hear from other people sometimes, and how God is teaching them and speaking through them. A couple people pointed out to me that I was uh, duly installed as your pastor, and then I immediately took two Sundays off. So read into that whatever you will. It wasn't anything personal, but I'm glad to be back and to be here with James. Uh, We are going to be returning to Philippians this week after a couple weeks off, and we're going to pick up where we left off last time in chapter 4, verse 2. So if you'd like to follow along in your own Bibles, you can turn to that now. Um, As we move toward wrapping up our time in this book of Scripture, I want to encourage you to read through it start to finish. If you did that in January, do it again now and see how God speaks to you differently as you read through it again what stands out to you differently this time. Uh, But as we've been going through this and, and preaching through it over the last couple months slowly, I think it's always a good exercise to go back to God's word and to read through it for ourselves and say, what is God saying to me through this book? And what is God saying to us as a church through this book? One of the things that we believe as Christians is that God speaks to us through his word. And so anytime you go to God's word, it will always be to your benefit. It's a fruitful exercise. Whatever else comes out of it, you will be blessed by reading God's word and so I would encourage you to do that sometime over the next couple weeks to just return to Philippians read from start to finish it'll take you maybe 20 to 30 minutes uh, no big deal so let's take a moment to pray once again uh, Joe already prayed for us but we can't pray too many times and so let's pray once again as we go to God's word and ask for God to to illumine our hearts and then we'll read our passage So, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks once again for this morning and for the gift of being together as your people to praise you, to worship you, to hear your word. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, that you speak to us through it. Um, And Lord, we pray that right now that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So starting at Philippians chapter 4 verse 2. Paul says, I plead with Eu- Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord and thanks be to God. So like I said, we're moving quickly to the end of this letter and Paul is starting to wrap things up. And as he does, he starts giving these final words of instruction and encouragement uh, to this church that he's writing to, this church that he has known for so long that he cares so deeply about. And sometimes when I'm reading the end of one of Paul's letters, it feels a little bit like he's either uh, running out of time or running out of paper or something, but he starts squeezing all of these things in, uh, it's like a parent talking to their child before they go off to college or something like that. So I just need to say these things to you uh, and get them out so I don't forget anything. And there's a little bit of that sense here at the end of Philippians. Paul just starts giving these instructions. Do this. Don't forget this. Remember this. And and he uh, it, it makes it seem like maybe this doesn't all quite fit together in some way. But that's not really the case. Paul is much more intentional than that here. And we're going to look at this a little bit this morning and try and see how all of this fits together. And we're going to focus most of our time this morning on what this passage has to say about joy and about peace. We talked all the way through that Philippians, one of the main themes of Philippians is the joy of the Lord, but we haven't had a chance to really explore that yet, so we're going to be talking about that a little bit this morning. And in fact, I'd love to really just skip over this part about Euodia and Syntyche and this conflict that they're having and just get to joy and peace, uh, but one of the things that we've seen Paul alluding to throughout this letter is that one of the challenges facing this church here in Philippi, and one of the things that they're struggling with is some sort of internal conflict that there is some sort of division that has has grown up in the body and it's creating problems for their fellowship with each other and this is why Paul has spent time calling them to humility and calling them to unity and so here he addresses a conflict that's happening in the church head-on and because he's been alluding to it so far it seemed good for us to pay some attention to this part of the passage too Paul says, I plead with Euodia. I have a hard time pronouncing these names, even though we learned the Greek in seminary and all that stuff. It's still hard for me. So I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. There, seems to, there are these two women that Paul knows well, and he thinks very highly of them. He describes them as having contended by his side for the cause of the gospel. And he talks about how their names are written in the book of life. And we're not told the details of the conflict between them. We don't know if it's the only conflict going in the church. But whatever is happening between these two women, it's significant enough for Paul to bring it up in this letter and to address them by name. And so Paul's hope for them is to see that it is resolved, to see them be reconciled with each other. And he even calls on the rest of the body, the rest of that church, to help them accomplish this if they can't do it on their own. Because what Paul recognizes is that when there is a conflict between two people in the body of Christ, it affects the whole body of Christ, However much we might want to think that a conflict is just between two people or just between the people that are having the argument, the reality is that it's going to spill out into the community. And Paul talks about this in other places as well. He says, if one part of the body is sick, it affects the whole body. And you can think about what that's like in your own life. If you have a pain somewhere in your body, it affects everything else in your life. It's hard to concentrate on other things. And Paul uses that as a metaphor to talk about the church. If there's a problem somewhere in the church, even if it's between two people, it's going to spill out and affect the whole community. And so we need to address this. And the longer it goes on or the worse it gets, the greater damage it's going to do to the body. But Paul also knows that the body of Christ can help people come to places of healing and forgiveness with each other. And in fact, reconciliation is the work of Christ among us. We know that Jesus gave his life so that we could be reconciled with our heavenly father. And by being reconciled with our heavenly father, we can also be reconciled to one another. And so what Paul is calling this church to is gospel work that they might be reconciled to each other one of the things about people being mentioned by name here Euodia and Syntyche and I'm sympathetic to them that they will be eternally remembered for their conflict (laughs) together these two women Uh, but we also remember what Paul said about them that these are women who were working for the gospel their names are written in the book of life we will meet these women one day and that's a cool thing that we have fellowship with them But by mentioning these people by name, Euodia and Syntyche, Clement, Timothy, and Epaphroditus earlier in Philippians, it reminds us that this book, this letter, is not some abstract theological treatise that Paul is writing here. It is a personal letter. It is written to real people living real lives with real joys and real struggles, all just like us. And they were living in community with each other. And they had real conflicts with each other, just like we do. The reality is, if there are at least two people in a church, if you give it enough time, conflict will arise. It's just the way human nature works. It's going to happen. But what's important for us in the body of Christ is how we respond to it. How do we respond to conflicts faithfully? The point here is always with Paul, and as we've talked about before, is the cause of the gospel. It's what we've said before is that how we interact with each other in the body of Christ is part of our witness to the outside world. And this includes how we deal with conflict. Do we move toward one another, seeking reconciliation with each other? So often our tendency can be to withdraw from one another and to not want to deal with it and to keep the grudge there. And to not actually work towards reconciliation with each other. Are we willing to confess and repent of our own sin in the situation? Are we willing to forgive the other person? And to be forgiven by them? Because these are the things that can lead to healing in a church. And this is what Paul wants to see happen in this community. And if we look back at the gospels, we see that Jesus himself gives instructions for reconciliation between believers. In Matthew 5, Jesus talks about if you have an offering and you bring it to the altar and you realize that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your offering there and go and be reconciled with them first and then come back and bring your offering to God. And in Matthew 18, Jesus instructs people very specifically if someone has sin in the church or in the body of Christ to go address it with them one-on-one. And if they don't listen, then you go and you bring the community. But this is gospel work. This is something that we see that God cares about. It's something important for us to work toward in our lives together for the sake of the body and for the sake of the gospel. When we have conflicts here at ICP, we need to work to reconcile with one another for the sake of God and for the sake of the gospel. And so Paul moves from addressing this specific conflict within their church and then he turns directly to joy. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, it seems like in some ways this might be sort of a non-sequitur, that this is a weird transition to go from addressing the conflict and then say, rejoice in the Lord always. As if There just sort of is no uh, segue there. But this is also Paul addressing the community. He's saying, be reconciled to each other and then rejoice in the Lord together. Celebrate the Lord's presence among you together. That's something for you all to do as a church. It's important enough that Paul says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. So as we reflect on joy this morning, I want you to just take a second. And I want you to think about something or someone who brings you joy. Just take a second. Yonder's smiling already. I like that. That's what you should do when you think about someone or something that brings you joy. Just put that in your mind and hold it there as we go through our reflection on joy this morning. It may be a person. Uh, Someone who makes you smile or laugh. You know that when you call them or when you spend time with them, that that is going to be a good thing for you. That you're going to walk away feeling joyful. Or maybe it's an experience that you have or some particular memory that you have. Something or someone that brings you joy. And just think about it. Because if we're going to be talking about joy this morning, it's good to feel joy. When we're talking about it to know what that feels like. It's easy to sort of talk about joy and treat it like it's this weird subject, but we need to feel the joy of the Lord as we talk about it. And that's not necessarily to equate the pleasure that we take from earthly things with the joy of the Lord. And yet when we enjoy the good gifts that God has given us, then we do sense God's joy in some way. I remember growing up, there was a a movie uh, that came uh, in the early 80s called Chariots of Fire. Has anybody ever seen that movie before? The running movie, it's got the famous music. And so there's this great scene where Eric Liddell, he's one of the main characters, he's a Scottish runner and missionary. And he says, The Lord made me for China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. When I run, I feel his pleasure. When we enjoy the good gifts that God has given us, then we can feel God's pleasure as well. And that's what he was speaking to there. So keep that in mind as we go through this this morning. Joy is one of God's great gifts to us in life. And as Christians, we are called to embrace this gift and to live as joyful people. Joy is something that we are supposed to be about as God's people. We are meant to experience joy in this life. It is God's will for us. It is God's will for you to experience joy in this life. God's desire for us is to be joyful people. Paul says that we should do it always, all the time, in all of life, in every circumstance, to rejoice in the Lord All of my my favorite Christian writers and theologians spend time writing about and reflecting on joy. Uh, Henry Nouwen, the Dutch uh, Catholic priest, writes that joy is essential to the spiritual life. And he goes on to talk about the importance of choosing joy as we go through this life, that we can actually choose to be joyful people. And C.S. Lewis calls joy the serious business of heaven. And he titled the memoir of his early life about how he became a Christian surprised by joy. Surprised by joy. It was the joy of the Lord that drew him into his Christian faith. G.K. Chesterton, another British writer, says that we are more fully ourselves. We are more human. The way that God intended us to be human. When joy is the fundamental thing in us and grief is the superficial And Karl Barth talks about the fact that God intends for us to enjoy life, that joy is part of what makes life worth living. And as Christians, it's good for us to embrace it and even pursue it. And he even warns us against closing ourselves off to it, which sometimes we do as people. We close ourselves off to joy. One of my favorite quotes by him about joy is simply this, that laughter is the closest thing to the grace of God. Whether you agree with that or not, I hope you get what he's saying, that laughter is the closest thing to the grace of God, that we feel God's joy when we laugh. What we see from all of these writers is the same idea that joy is an essential part of the Christian life. Joy is not peripheral to the Christian life. It's not secondary to it. And it's essential because God cares deeply about it for us. We shouldn't think of joy as being something frivolous or or trivial, something that is sort of an extra credit that we just get if everything else is going okay. It's not just something God tolerates or puts up with on the way in getting to the important stuff in the world. Joy is part of the important work. It is the serious business of heaven. I find all of these guys that I just quoted helpful in thinking about joy, but we really don't have to go to them to know this. Because the best place to read and learn about Christian joy are the scriptures themselves. And you can pick your starting point. You won't have to look very far to find something about joy or being joyful or celebrating in some way about praising God, which is a joyful act. It's all over the place. In fact, I had a hard time narrowing down which passages I wanted to quote this morning from scripture because there's so many in there. On top of Paul telling us to rejoice in the Lord always, we see the Psalms are full of passages about joy and the joy of the Lord. When the Israelites are led out of captivity in Egypt, one of the first things they do when they get to the other side is to sing for joy to the Lord. And Nehemiah tells the people of Israel who have just returned out of exile and captivity that the joy of the Lord is their strength. The joy of the Lord is their strength. We see David, King David, dancing before the Lord with all of his might. We see Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding so the party can keep going. And even some of the images that Jesus gives us of God's eternal kingdom are ones of celebration, of a wedding, or of a dinner party. And all of this is to say that joy is essential to the Christian life, More important, perhaps, than we even give it credit for. Now, all of of this talk about joy is not to ignore the realities of the world uh, and that many of us are hurting and in pain, whether it's physically or emotionally or both. We live in a world that is broken by sin and it has great hope for peace and joy, but in which we also see plenty of brokenness and anger and hatred. This is the reality of the world that we live in. I know that many of us are here today grieving for different reasons, and we don't want to discount the reality of depression, and that for some people, joy it feels impossible to find anywhere they look, no matter what they do. What the scriptures are talking about is not some sort of, of forced happiness or cheerfulness or, or pretending that everything is okay when it's not. That's not the point here. And Paul speaks to this tension in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, saying that as Christians, we are sorrowful, but always rejoicing. We are sorrowful, but always rejoicing. The difference between the biblical idea of joy and just feeling happy, happy at any particular moment in our life is the basis of it or the source of it. The joy that the Bible tells us about that we're meant to experience as Christians is is not based on our immediate circumstances, on the fact that everything just happens to be going right at any particular moment, but it's based on God and it's based on God's character and God's promises to us and ultimately on God's presence with us. I love that last song that we just sang this morning that talks about God's presence with us because this is the source of our joy undergirding this call to a a joyful life is the fact that God is a joyful God. Our God is a joyful God. And one of the main things that God finds joy in is us, his people. This is what the scriptures talk about. We have a great passage from Zephaniah, the prophet Zephaniah. I don't know when the last time you all read Zephaniah was, okay? But there's a great passage in there from Zephaniah chapter three, verses 14 through 17. And this is what it says. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. And never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord, your God, is with you the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Mm, Amen. Another translation says this, is that a joyous choir I hear? No, it is the Lord himself exulting over you in happy song. Friends, remember that God delights in you. The same way that a parent delights in their children. So much so that he sings over you with joyous songs. God sings over you with joyous songs. God takes joy in you. And we ultimately know that this is true because God gave us the gift of joy through his son, Jesus Christ. When we look back at the the passages that we read around Christmas time in Luke chapter two, you remember that the angel appeared before the shepherds. And announced the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is what the angel said. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is the source of our joy, that we have been saved through Jesus Christ. And through him... And through his presence with us, God's joy becomes our joy. This is the promise of Psalm uh, chapter 16, verse 11. It says, you will fill me with joy in your presence. It says, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Christ is the eternal source of our joy. And this is what allows Paul and Silas in the book of Acts to sing even from their prison cell. It's what allows us to be joyful no matter what our circumstances, even in sorrow and in grief. And Paul even says this in our passage from Philippians. He says, the Lord is near. Rejoice in the Lord always because the Lord is near. And it's this kind of joy which is found in God's people that God uses to reveal himself to the world. Our joy is also a part of our witness. We see this also in the book of Acts. It reports that the early believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And people were drawn to their community and the church grew because of that. And this still goes on in the body of Christ today. In her book called Surprised by Oxford, Dr. Carolyn Weber recounts her conversion from an agnostic to a Christian by being welcomed into the warmth and joy of a Christian community while she was studying in England. And she was compelled by it and she was changed by being a part of this community. And Weber refers to joy as being the Christian's secret weapon, the Christian's secret weapon seeing us as the people who have the inside track on eternal joy. She says this, that sense of promised joy of every tear being wiped away of all of our suffering coming to an end in him is unique to the Christian faith. And she saw a joy in this Christian community that she found nowhere else. And it led her to put her faith in Christ. Friends, the joy of the Lord is a gift to us. It is a blessing And just like every other blessing God gives us, it isn't meant for our benefit alone, but for the sake of the whole world, to be shared with others. Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord, to do it together as a church, so that others may see it and know it and be drawn to it. And we rejoice because we trust that God is with us, that the Lord is near to us by his Holy Spirit. So Paul moves here from the call to rejoice in the Lord, to celebrate the goodness of God, to a promise of peace. And he goes on to say that the peace of God, which is beyond our understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says, and the God of peace will be with you. Now certainly joy and peace aren't exactly the same thing, but we don't want to completely separate them from each other either. They often go together in some way, hand in hand. It's hard to have joy, it's hard to have abiding joy if we don't have peace in our lives. And if we have peace in our lives, it's much easier for us to find joy. And the source of them both is the same, God's presence in our lives. So after telling us that the Lord is near, Paul gives an invitation to pray and to leave our anxieties behind and to come before the Lord and lay it all before him, everything in our life, everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And if we can't leave our anxieties behind, friends, then bring those before him in prayer as well. It's because the Lord is near to us that we can pray this way, trusting that the Lord hears us and that he cares and that his peace will guard our hearts and our minds. You know, I think so often when we approach God in prayer, we sort of picture God as being distant, sort of in his heavenly throne room somewhere, wondering, does he really hear us? Does he really have the time to deal with all of the things going on in my life? But if the Lord is near to us the way that Paul says he is, then that's going to change the way that we pray and the way that we see our relationship with God because it's going to make it more personal and more intimate and more trusting. If God is near to us, then we know that he cares about us and hears our prayers and responds to us. And in fostering this kind of a relationship with God, we begin to experience more and more of this peace, of his peace. It's a peace that we can't comprehend, a peace that doesn't always make sense. And it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, the places that we often feel so much anxiety and unrest in this life. God is invested in protecting us. He wants us to know the peace that he offers us in Christ. But Paul doesn't just leave it there. He also gives us some practical instructions on guarding our own hearts and our minds. And so this last section of our passage today, he says this, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything, is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And as we consider what it means to be filled with God's joy and peace, Paul confronts us with the question of what we are filling our minds and our hearts with. And there is a correlation here. We talked a few weeks ago about the way that other people influence us and the people that we follow and whether they're leading us towards Christ or away. And this is a similar idea. What are you filling your mind with? Friends in Christ, what are you filling your mind with? What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? And if you can't line it up with Paul's description here, why are you putting it in your head? This isn't saying that we should be willfully blind or ignorant about the evils of this world. Again, we don't just pretend that everything's okay, but there's a difference between educating ourselves about something and filling your mind with it. So that it forms you in destructive ways. Is what you fill your mind with leading to Christ or away? Is it filling you with God's joy and peace? Or is it filling you with anger and fear and anxiety and envy and lust? Paul says, find the things that are good and true and beautiful and fill your mind with them. Think about those things. The pastor and New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, he reflects on what Paul is instructing us to do here, asking these questions. How are you going to celebrate the goodness of the creator if you feed your mind only on the places of the world which humans have made ugly? I'm gonna say that again. How are you going to celebrate the goodness of the creator if you feed your mind only on the places of the world which humans have made ugly? Then he goes on to ask this question. How are you going to take steps to fill your mind instead with all of the things that God has given us to be legitimately pleased with and to enjoy and celebrate? These are really good questions for us to ask ourselves. Paul once again offers himself as someone trustworthy to follow. He says, take my lead and that will get you going in the right direction. Follow me as I follow Christ. Our passage ends today with another promise of God's presence. He says, and the God of peace will be with you. Wright points uh, out that Paul's play on words here. He says, where does the peace of God come from? From the God of peace, of course. Get to know the one and you will have the other. Get to know the God of peace and the peace of God will be with you. Friends, Christ died that we might be reconciled to God. He made peace between us so that now we can draw close to him and come to know him. And as we do, we know that we are given the gift of joy and peace of the Lord, which comes from walking through life with God. The source of the joy and peace is the same, God's presence in our lives. And I don't know where any of you stand today. I know where some of you are, but I don't know where all of you are. And so I would just say this, if this is something that you desire to have more of in your life, the peace and joy of the Lord, then take Paul's invitation to pray and to turn to the Christ and to put your trust in him and to follow him. And the promise of scripture is that the God of peace will be with you as well. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of joy. We thank you that you want us to be joyful people, that you want us to experience the goodness of this life and to embrace it, and that that also brings you joy. So Lord, we pray that you would draw us ever closer to yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may know your presence with us in this life, and that we may experience your joy and your peace. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.